All right, RBA, welcome to the, uh, let's see, the, the ninth season podcast, I guess, including the ones with Chad. This will be the 11th podcast we've done. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to the uh, playoff series that we recorded this weekend between Arizona and State College. And I have with me here for uh, today's podcast the uh, the coach of the team that won in the first sweep in RBA history in the 19th playoff series, the first ever sweep. Four games and nothing over State College. It is the coach of the Spreadsheet Sluggers, Jeff Hobbs. Hey, RBA. Hello again. You like the the new nickname for your team that Chad coined? Sure, sure. Right, let's go with it. You you own that one, huh? You wear yeah, it yeah. proudly. Yeah, I will. Like like Charlie Sheen, I will own that. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I think you're mixing up Charlie Sheen sayings. <laughs> Uh, you said something like that. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Like that. Yeah, yeah, close enough. Uh, we're highlighting the ninth season this uh, this time on the podcast, and uh, we're coming off of of Jeff Hobbs' first uh, championship, and maybe only for the rest of time. We'll see what happens. Uh, maybe repeating this year since he's back in the championship. But we do get to enjoy a podcast where he goes into the forest with the worst record in the league. And we get to have some amount of time on this podcast devoted to you, Jeff, extolling the virtues of Matt Cooper, RBA champion. Oh, yep, yep, that uh, that's going to have to happen, I suppose. Yes, it is. So uh, in the three-division era, the two teams that sort of defined it, at least until this, this last year, you kind of say Jeff and Chad kind of defined it here, but... Uh, Cooper being above 500 all five seasons, and this was the season when Cooper took home the plaque for the first time. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that as we get to the end of the podcast, but to, to kind of set the scene, we, we talked a little bit about Jeff's uh, whiny, tortured nature as he uh, came into the seventh and eighth seasons, but uh, <laughs> I thought I'd slip that in there. Yeah. Well, as you came into the – yeah, okay, well, either way um, – Matt Cooper had had a pretty rough time of it. Um, he he did yeah. he, he did beat you out for the for the fifth season division title, but then lost to a to a juggernaut state college team. Uh, you probably uh, admit that he should have you know he had a playoff worthy team the season before that in the fourth season. Um, I mean, yeah, you yeah, he that, did. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and then in the seventh and eighth seasons, the one that, the ones that we just talked about. Of course, there was the seventh season where he swept the awards. I think he had the highest score on your spreadsheet, right? Is that right? In the seventh season? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And, and you know, by as evidenced by that, he had by far the best team, we say. And he then he was 25 points higher than me or 20 points higher than me or something. Right. And yeah. in the eighth season, also good, also uh, obviously went to the championship and lost to you. Here, this was this was the one that that sort of took us all by surprise. His run through the the championship this year, maybe arguably beat two teams that were both better than he was in the in the playoffs. We'll kind of look at what your spreadsheet says and what the replay standings say. Uh, but coming into it, um, he was a little bit bedraggled, I guess you could say, beaten down by the RBA. You were coming yeah. off of the championship. We had uh, a couple expansion teams that were now rising, and one in particular rising up to the top of the league. Um, and that was sort of the uh, the picture at the beginning of the season. Um, as we as we kind of talk about how the season begins, we have a very exciting moment here on the RBA podcast. It's it's a moment. I mean, you could say ten podcasts in the making. Um, 
the first trade uh, officially of the 2009 season. It's been foreshadowed. It's been built up to. It's here. It's your favorite trade of all time. Go ahead. What is it? I don't know. Well, you thought that you were competing in the 2009 season, or at least you were going to make the old college try of it. I see where this is going. Sure. (laughs) Well, look at it this way. We're going to put it to rest, and maybe we won't refer to it over the next couple of podcasts. Maybe this will be the end of it. Go for it. Jeff traded, uh, as I recall, Chad was, was on you to uh, to get either Kane or Johnson. I think you pretty much had the choice of trading one or the other. Isn't that right? That I don't remember. I uh, think I think you're right. I think he asked about both. Blocked out all memory of these trade negotiations. Yeah. Uh, I remember it that way. And you, uh, I think he might have, well, Johnson was Tommy John at this time. He was not going to pitch the next season. Is that right? Or was, yeah. it, was he just coming off? Okay, so it was something like that. And Kane was obviously healthy and, you know, seemed to be the better bet. Um, John, actually, I take that back. Johnson was in the league. He was uh, a yeah. pretty good starting pitcher, but not great. Had he just been Tommy John? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So he was just coming back, and I don't think he was – he wasn't as good as Kane for this season anyway. Uh, no. And Chad kind of offered you more, I think, for Kane, but you took the Johnson package. Yeah, uh, just like you always do. I felt, I felt, um, yeah. <laughs> I was more uh, sure about Kane than Johnson. Yes, that's what I was leading up to. Um, and you acquired first baseman Carlos Delgado from Elm Grove, and basically an even swap. Uh, you got a seventh round pick in this season and a tenth in the next season. So all joking aside. What uh, I mean, what were you thinking? I don't mean it as what were you thinking, yeah. but what were you thinking? Wait, you didn't have a first baseman, I guess, coming back? Yeah, right. At so, all? Not, no, not really. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so this was a, this trade was a, a mistake. Um, no! <laughs> it really was. Actually, though, this is kind of interesting. This ties into something Chad said during his last podcast with you. Yeah. Um, he talked a little bit about maturing through the years and like as a as a manager and yeah. sort uh you know sort of figuring out how to manage and how to make trades and you kind of learn from your mistakes and stuff like that so um which which I guess everybody goes through so like in my early years I overvalued or I should say I undervalued relief pitchers and it wasn't really until 2004 2005 that I figured that out um and then but in Chad's case he was talking about he was talking about a situation that very closely paralleled mine in, okay. the, in 2009. Chad, in 2007, mm-hmm. talked about how he was coming off of his championship, yep. and he did not want to admit that he couldn't contend. Ah. So like he really, he'd just come off a championship. He really wanted to contend, um, and you know he wanted to sort of convince himself that he could do it again or at least be in the mix. And uh, and that caused him to draft Chad Bradford instead of Ian Kinsler. Oh uh, yeah, I remember him saying remember that. that. That's right. Remember that? Yeah, remember that story. So, uh, I, it's funny how closely that actually parallels what happened to me in 2009. I, I like Chad was coming off a championship. Yep. I really wanted to try to compete. I knew I was going to have a weaker team, no question about it. Right. But I I wanted to give it a shot. I I, I didn't want to just completely rebuild. So. I looked at the players I had, you know, the keepers, and Chad made me an offer of Delgado, 
Um, what was the exact trade? You got Delgado in a seventh rounder in that season, and you gave up Johnson in a tenth in the next season, in 2010. Yeah. So what happened was um, was that Delgado was of huge Delgado was of huge marginal value for that season. Yes. I didn't have a first baseman, and he really could hit. He he was nine. He had a against nine. Righties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a nine twelve OPS against righties, so he added a a bunch to my score. Problem was that uh, the problem. Okay, so here here's what here's the thing about being in middle ground, kind of you know, sort of contending and sort of not like right. trying to contend, is that uh, it's a kind of a fun place to be, and it's not always the worst place to be strategically, but it's very risky. Yeah. It's extremely risky because obviously anything can happen. Yes. You get off to a bad start and you really have to fold it all up. Yeah, exactly. Which, and you lose whatever you had traded to get there in the first place, which in my case was Josh Johnson. Right. What happened, What the, the mistake that I made was I wasn't uh, quite good enough to justify doing that. Right. I shouldn't have done that because uh, we'll get to the spreadsheet scores in a few minutes, but um, after the draft, uh, my team score was a 69 and the league average was an 82. Right. So I was still below average. I mean, I was still, yeah, I, you know, I still had like a 38-win team. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, that's the kind of trade that you can sort of justify making if your team, you know, if it gets you up to an 89 instead of a 69 or something like that. I mean, you don't want to give up real talent like Johnson, but sometimes you have to do it if you're contending, you know. Right. My problem was I didn't have a good enough team to justify doing that anyway. But I just wanted to con- – I really wanted to contend again. I wanted to give it a shot. Right. So, but this, this wasn't the off season in your defense. You didn't really know how the draft was going to shake out or exactly yeah, what was going to happen. Yeah, there were a lot of unknown things going – but, yeah. But well, you, anyway, so you learned from that. Yeah, yeah, right. With a team like – I sure hope I wouldn't do something like that again, not with a team that – you know, without Delgado, my team score might have been 60. Trading for him brings me up to a 69. When the average is an 82, that's just not, yeah. <laughs> but the thing about being in middle ground like that is is that if you do make a move, I wasn't quite good enough, but if, you're, if, my, if your team's really in middle ground or borderline, like really in contention, but it's not like a great team or anything, then if you make a move – you know, then then making the sort of same size move for that season uh, has the biggest impact on your odds of making the playoffs. So you get the most you get the most marginal value out of these trades if you're kind of borderline. Sure. I, my problem was I was below borderline, so I shouldn't have done it. Well, it makes <laughs> sense. It reminds me of the MVP discussions, the the spurious kind of arguments that. This player, to be the most valuable player, he needs to take your team from one oh, yeah. to another. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah. I've been reading a, a lot of arguments like that. Of course, we're saying something different because we're talking about, right. you know, adding yeah. a play. You know, we're trying to influence the team's place. But, yeah, I see what you're saying. You want you want something like that to take you from a non-playoff team to a playoff team. If you're a, if you're a 120, you can also kind of lay off on doing that. <laughs> right, exactly. And the only reason I made the trades that I did this year, I mean, I would not have traded for Oswald and – Cruz, uh, I would not have made the, uh, those trades if my team had looked like it was going to do anything next year. Right. Well, we've we we know now that you've learned from that trade, and never at the beginning of the <laughs> season will you trade for an aging first baseman who won't ever be seen again. Certainly, uh, you didn't do that this year. The thing about Delgado uh, oh, this year, uh, what did I do? I forgot already. <laughs> oh, there's the most classic Hobbs moment in podcast history, right there. <laughs> uh. 
You kind of traded for a first baseman before this season. You didn't. You came into the season without one. Yeah. Eh, I'm, I'm thinking of 2009. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even know who I'm talking about. No. You don't know who your current first baseman is. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, – that didn't turn out well for me either. Uh, make a joke and it takes me two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mind was on 2009. You, yeah, well, yeah, I know you can't tie your uh, you shoelace and chew gum at the same time. My people head. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about the preseason? We did have another big trade involving two first basemen, if you remember this. Um, this was an interesting one. It, it caused a lot of comment around the league when it happened. Um, State College traded – Adrian Gonzalez, Brad Hopp, and Sean Markham for Prince Fielder. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Were you of a mind at the time that he overpaid for them, for Fielder? Um, yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, Prince Fielder was the kind of guy you could try to build a team around. Yeah. Uh, I thought he overpaid a little bit, sure. But, you know. I think the, the point was we didn't really know how good Adrian Gonzalez was at that time, or we didn't yeah. have quite broken out yet. But that's quite a package there. I mean, Hop, eh, but Markham, yeah, good young starter. Um, you know, well, I mean, in retrospect, you can kind of argue that back and forth. But Gulf Coast kind of loaded up with that trade, and they put together a nice team uh, in this season also. Um, right. Let's see. Um well, let's uh, let's talk about the. Uh, I guess we should talk about the draft before we talk about the the spreadsheet scores at the beginning of the season, don't we? Sure, sure. I'll run through the draft briefly as always, and you'll butt in. I'm sure. Uh, um, <laughs> although, although you were not drafting this time, uh, so I, w- I was not. I'm sure I'll have commentary. Bob had taken over for you, so we don't have to listen to 20 minutes of you pleasuring yourself about every pick. Uh, so anyway. Talking about that. So, all right, so the 2009 draft. With the first pick, there was some, I'll just go ahead and say there was some chatter because Adam had the first overall pick, and, uh, and um, well, we all know how Adam is. So there was a, an email that Chad sent out with some discussion in it about who Adam's first pick was going to be, and I think Chad projected Adam to take Randy Johnson. Uh, <laughs> who Adam well, did eventually take at the end of the second round, by the way. Yeah, but Orlando took the guy who was thought to be the biggest prospect at the time, Jay Bruce, um, the yeah, guy I think everybody wanted. Yeah, this I remember having a couple of conversations with Adam um, around this time, um, and I'll have to address when we get maybe when we get down to his pick the the transition of the teams. Also, you said I wasn't drafting this year, which I wasn't. Um, I don't know if this happened at the same time, but I remember talking to Adam quite a bit before this, and, and I remember specifically we were at a football game out at Heinz Field. This would have been two years ago, that football season. Um, I guess, or maybe or three. Oh, gosh, it would be three years ago. Um, and we talked about this, and, and I said, you know, well, who, who are you looking at taking? And Adam's like, well, I'm going to take Jay Bruce. I'm not as dumb as they think I am, or something like that. He said, you know, I I, I might be an idiot, but I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, but I also remember, I think it was at the same time, um, you know, he had the first pick, he was coming off that bad season, and people were telling him that he should trade Manny Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And this is this is quintessential Adam. This gets right to the heart of Adam. He said he said I've got all these, I remember this. said I've got all these people emailing me telling me I need to trade Manny. He's like I'm gonna trade Manny. 
like, because I think Manning had a really good season that year, and obviously a lot of people expected him to kind of die after that, which obviously he did as probably his last good season. He said, I'm going to trade Manny. He said, who am I, I going to try and get if I trade Manny? Somebody just like Manny. So I'll just hang on to him. And well, it's not going to surprise some listeners that I agree with Adam on this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if everybody expects him to die anyway, then all you're going to get for him is his current value. And if you're contending, you might as well use that current value yourself. Yeah, no, I, I don't say I disagree with him. It's just one of the things that I remember a lot about Adam. Uh, I remember yeah. that quote. And it, right. I mean, it makes sense in a way. It really does. Who am I going to expect to get for Manny? Somebody like Manny. <laughs> right. So Orlando did take Bruce. Uh, Baltimore took catcher Giovanni Soto. Correct. Uh, Dunedin had two ba- two straight oh. picks, and uh, they took Joey Votto third. That's turned out to be the best <laughs> pick of the of the draft, I guess. This um, is the Reds fans draft right here. Bruce and Votto yeah. top three picks. That's right. That's right. Uh, and then they took John Lester with the fourth overall pick. Yeah, and I, I know that I kind of uh, extolled their draft last time because they put it together. Remember, I talked about the trades uh, in which they got the first round picks. Uh, they traded away Perez and Blanton, but they built these. They had Dunedin. I'm talking about, of course. They had three first round picks. They had two second round picks in a row. Uh, he had Chad's first and second. Big shock that Chad didn't have his own. Um, <laughs> So he had five picks in the first two rounds, and I mean, just looking back at it, it's a coup. I mean, you you yeah. want to go, you want to write a textbook, and I and you know, I I like Denise, and I'm rooting for them, and I'm rooting for them next year and everything. But I I think that objectively, you could agree, you want to go to a textbook and talk about how to build a team in one season. You you trade two overachieving pitchers for first round picks. You, yeah. you got a second round pick somehow. But you make these five selections. I mean, look at those names. Yeah, here are the selections. Uh so to, uh sorry, Votto, Lester, uh, Zobrist. Yeah. Jurgens and Ellsbury. How about that? Yeah. No, yeah, he did a great job. Not to mention Crawford in the fourth round also. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's a core of a team that has been a, an above-average talent team, probably yeah. with next season, the fourth season in a row. I mean, certainly these last three, and they were really good in this season. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, with the fifth overall pick, Atlanta took a guy who thought might go a little higher, Matt Garza. Yeah, and a fair pick there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, for sure. Six was a surprise at the time. Martin Prado went to Gulf Coast. It would seem a bad pick. He's kind of been okay, though. Yeah, no, he's been more than okay. Yeah, he's been good. But everybody was shocked. I, I thought he'd be a second or maybe I thought he might even be a third round pick, but certainly a second round. And sort of uh, the same about Zobris, who you're going to say at seven. I mean, I think a lot like, of people didn't think he was going to hang around and be good. I I liked him. I liked him at the time, actually. But uh, anyway, uh, Zobrist, that is. I didn't know much about Prado. Ford Duquesne with the uh, eighth pick to uh, Justin. And he's exploding this season. Unfortunately, he's exploding for State College because they traded (laughs) him for J.D. Drew, um, who's dead. Um, It's uh, ninth. well, yeah. let, let, let me just say a word, because I said I would when we got to, to his name. Just to, and I won't talk for a half an hour about uh, the previous transition of ownership with this team, like when you <laughs> rolled your eyes at me. Um, I'll just say briefly that I we did find, you know, I was keeping the Chicago franchise until we could find a good owner, and we found Bob Parker, who was already in the HHA, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and he took the team and moved them to Fort Duquesne. So all the the picks uh of Fort Duquesne, that's the old Chicago 
franchise, and they're still in Fort Duquesne, and he was making the picks in this draft. So he took Justin Upton, which was a fantastic pick, but unfortunately in the midst of him competing over this season and the next, he ended up trading him to State College. So. Right, right. Yeah, and then and how about this one? Buffalo took Ubaldo Jimenez. Yeah, ended up panning out. Well, a lot of talent in this draft also. Yeah, even even though I have Ubaldo in my other league, I really wasn't that high. I mean, he's just such a risky pitcher, you know, and he's not – you can see from this season, too. He's yeah. all over the place. Uh, Silver City took Justin Masterson at number 10. He's having a good year this year. He is. Um, Vegas took Chris Davis 11th. Mm. Kind of yeah. died, but he was yeah. really good for that season, and I can't really blame – I definitely can't blame Cooper for that pick, and then I took, um, actually, I took a player that Chad referred to as a spreadsheet stud. Yes, <laughs> the spreadsheet sluggers. Yeah, I remember this. Uh, I remember him him saying that. I took Shin Su Chu. That you did. Shin Su Chu, who we really didn't know if he was going to, I mean, we thought he'd overachieved that season. It turns out, I mean, I know he's not having a good season this year, but yeah. it turns out it really wasn't that much of an overachieving season. He's He's put it together, he put it together for two more seasons after that. Uh, but he was kind of seen as the one-year wonder, the Luke Scott, so to speak, of this draft. Uh, yeah. So then, after the uh, after the draft, um, well, let me, well, 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 hang on. Let me just say a couple of things. Uh, it should be mentioned that Fort Duquesne made another excellent pick at the beginning of the second round when they took Clayton yeah. Kershaw. They Kershaw. traded actually Ty Wigginton for that pick, and yeah. Adam regretted <laughs> it instantly. I think. Yeah. Adam. Adam kind of even said to me, I probably shouldn't have done that. And I was like, well, yeah, you probably shouldn't have. Um, yeah. And, of course, Kershaw's getting better and better. Um, that one just kind of uh, sprung out at me. Really, it looks like a well-picked first round because the talent level went way downhill after that, um, after the Ellsbury pick especially. But uh, So nothing else really jumps out at me. So go go right ahead and, and say what you were going to say. Okay, so after the draft, um, as we were getting ready to play the season and everything, I put together the spreadsheet, and here's here's here, here were the team scores at that time. So this is again post, just you know, just after the draft. Uh, the league average for this season is an 82. Mm-hmm. Precinct. All right. Yeah, Arizona was a 69. We. Uh, Beavis yeah. and Butthead say ho. Yeah. <laughs> right. Orlando was a 98. They put together a very good team. Yeah, yeah, they did. Adam they, can do uh, that. They had a yeah, they had a very solid team all around. Ford Duquesne was an eighty-nine. Yep, another very solid team. So two expected wins below Adam, and Atlanta was a sixty-three. Oh, solid division overall, really. No, no bad teams. I mean, yeah, no great teams either. But a ninety-eight is, is awfully good. Pretty good, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so in the pocket division. We had uh, State College with a 31. Mm. They were more, more rebuilding for State College. Yeah, they were in their second year, I guess, of rebuilding. No, 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 they, made the, they made the playoffs in a way. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They, they, they rebuilt this was the first of two rebuildings. 2009 and 2010, yeah. Okay, so they were a 31. Silver City was a 56. Yeah, kind of a down year for John also coming off the playoffs. You notice all all the playoff teams except Las Vegas really kind of hit the skids here. Um, Silver City, uh, let's see here. Silver City, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, they had a bad bullpen. That was the thing that really hurt them. They might have mortgaged some picks to get to the playoffs the previous season. You know, that does tend to happen. I think so. Now, here we go. Buffalo, a 110. Had a very good team. They did, yeah. 
Yeah, they had a 110, uh, which was the best score in the league to start off the season. They uh, they were good all around. They had a really good rotation. Of course, you think of Linscombe, but they also had TV and Danks and their number four Zubaldo. Yeah, I mean he wasn't quite as good that year, but yeah, he was. He's great for a number four starter. By the way, <laughs> I, by the way, I checked. Silver City only had three picks in the first eight rounds this season, so that kind of explains uh, that. That'll that'll explain their weak bullpen for sure. Uh, Dunedin was a 101. Mm. And, and so, you know those first round picks, the the well constructed team as a nice team. Yeah, right. So they they certainly uh, they certainly were in the running to win that division or at least snag a wild card. Now over in the Clemente. Yeah, this is interesting. This was another kind of cluster season, right? Basically, think of the 2008 season, yep. where the 2008 season basically all of the Clemente division teams were average. <laughs> yep. uh, and since there wasn't a really good team in that division, they could all fight it out. Well, take the 2008 Clemente division. And basically, you just add about 20 points to everyone's score, and you have the 2009. Yeah, they <laughs> were all good. All good teams. No great teams, but all good teams. Here we go. Um, again, the league average was an 82. So Vegas was a 100. Yep. Um, Which is El- a nice testament to Cooper that he put together another very good team for yeah. the third season in a row. Good. Yeah. Cooper was an uh, Chad, I mean. Chad Elmgrove was an 81, so he was average. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, you know, in the mix. Uh, Baltimore was a 97. Another season that Baltimore really saw one slip away. Baltimore had a really good rotation as well. Cusby, Carlos Zambrano, Dice K, Grinky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess, yeah, and Contreras uh, was pretty good for a fifth starter, I guess. Mm. Uh, and Gulf Coast was a 91. Wow. Wow. I mean, Chad was the underdog, but, you know, he was only 19 points behind the best team. Yeah, another big cluster. 08 and 09 were really distinguished by clusters of teams in that division. Yeah, there wasn't a bad team in that division. I mean, overall, that was definitely the strongest of the four divisions. So, so anyway... Um, well, so, so to, to use that to paint a little bit of a picture here going into the season... Um, I kind of said this a little bit this year with with any division, you know, uh, where you've got four above average teams, something's got to give. You know, with, we we played a we over this three division era, we played a sort of unbalanced schedule. Um, but as you outlined those teams, one thing kind of jumps out at me, which is that we were really only going with State College as a bad team. Silver City was mediocre. Atlanta was mediocre. You were maybe on the high side of mediocre. But it stood to reason that somebody was going to fall flat other than State College because there were just too yeah. many good teams in the league. Especially in that Clemente division. Yeah, uh, that too, yeah. But, well, yeah, but I, I know yeah, I know what you mean. Well, and, and um, so I guess, I guess I can talk about the season from my own perspective here. Unfortunately, for 2009, I don't have any emails with predictions or anything. So, oh, okay. yeah, it's kind of sad. But anyway, uh, so as the season began, uh, I, I kind of, you know, I did the number crunching and I said, all right, I realize now that my team is not quite as good as I was hoping it, you know, as I was hoping for. But Teams with scores of 69 or thereabouts have made the playoffs before. It can happen. So I said, all right, I'm going to just see – I'm just going to see how lucky I get. <laughs> um, I'm going to try – I'm going to quote, unquote, try to overachieve. <laughs> and Right. And um, But I'm going to keep an eye on things. 
so that, you know, even though I'd already traded Johnson, I was, I was basically saying to myself, if I don't get off to the right kind of start, I'm going to look to turn some players over early so that I can basically get full value for them. You know, I don't want to wait until the trading deadline where I can, you know, where I won't be able to do that. And you didn't wait long. <laughs> I waited until uh, about the 19th or 20th round of the That's season. Right. I, I remember it was about the quarter point uh, in the year. And you I remember about 7 and 12, 7 and 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think I was 7 and 12. Right. I might be off by a game here. But anyway, I, I think I was like 7 and 12. And I looked at my team and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I said, I've got – there are 62 games left in the season. Uh, which, and you need to win about 47 to make the playoffs. So that means I need to go 40 and 22. That isn't, that isn't going to happen with this team. If I had been 12 and 7 instead of 7 and 12, I would have said, okay, this team can, can't overachieve enough to go, you know, 35 and 27, but it can't go 40 and 22. <laughs> um, so I said, all right, it's time to throw in the towel. It was a nice quarter season. It was a nice, you know, No, but months. it really wasn't. <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, I said, all right, well, it's been a quarter of a season. <laughs> let's, uh, let's just, let's just, you know, get what I can get for my short-term assets and build toward the, you know, for the, um, 10th season. So that was it. That was the season for me. Um, are there any sort of big trades or anything you want to talk about during the season? Yeah, well, we can talk about the trades that you made to, to offload. You, um, The thing that I remember about your team uh, was that you traded two-thirds of your starting outfield. One of your starting outfielders was Josh Hamilton, who for obvious reasons you wanted to hang on to. Um, mm. But you dealt Spielborgs to Buffalo, making them a little better. You dealt yeah. Spielborgs and Grilly over there. Yeah, well, Grilly was an obvious trade, uh, trading chip, and Spielborgs, yeah, I thought was, too. Yeah, you you basically took your bullpen and set it out on the curb with the garbage and said, here, <laughs> anybody would like this. Yeah. yeah, I traded my bullpen away. I uh, kept well, actually, but... Uh, you you yeah. traded Brad Chadford to Cooper. You you basically gave Bobby Say to Bobby. Yeah, I think I got like a 10th rounder for him. 11th, actually. Um, <laughs> okay. And you threw Bimel in in the Elm Grove trade. You basically, you've traded four relievers to four different teams. You basically just kind of scattered them around those contenders. <laughs> Uh, right. But you traded Spielborgs to Buffalo, and I guess the really overall the big in season trade this season was the uh, the huge one that you pulled off with Chad. Uh, Joe oh, Bimel was a tiny part of that. And yeah, go ahead and say yeah. Go ahead. Oh yeah, you're eager for this one. Uh, every time <laughs> I every time I bring up the Johnson for Delgado trade, you this is your response is this trade, and and they do sort of wash out like, a little bit, I guess. I mean, I think they, they I think they do. Well, I'm sure you think they do. But Shinzu, too, put up a couple of pretty good seasons after this. Yeah, Um, he did. He did. You you traded Shinzu, too, your first-round pick, um, outfielder. Uh, Troy Gloss, Ronnie Belliard, and Joe Bible, um, just spare pieces, I guess, to Chad for Wesley Wright, Kyle McClellan, Luis Castillo, and Ryan Zimmerman. Third baseman currently for the uh, for the spreadsheet sluggers, and yeah. you also got a first, fourth, fifth, and tenth. <laughs> you got a uh, king's ransom of picks. Imagine that that Chad to <laughs> hand picks out. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't believe that happened. You know, you know, uh, but but in all seriousness, uh, in all seriousness, that trade kind of made sense for Chad too. I mean, yeah, he gave up a lot, and I and I ended up just just uh, hind, you know in hindsight, I ended up sort of killing him on that trade. But the trade at the time was. Chad was contending, right? He wanted 
he wanted those players. Bimel helped him. Chu helped him. Whoever else I traded him. Or Gloss sure. was better than Zimmerman for that season. I'm yeah, sure. Zimmerman right. didn't put up that good of a season. No, Gloss was, yeah, Gloss was in almost 900. He was 891 against righties. He, yeah, and so Zimmerman was like 730 against righties. Those things made Chad a lot better for that season, and that was a season where he was in the thick of a big pennant race. So, you know, I can't blame him for making it. Right, and that pushed him. I mean, we were saying he was, you know, within range. That probably pushed him very close to being yeah. at the top of the score. You also got a first-round pick, and you took Miguel Montero with that, which turns out might turn out to be a good long-term chip for you also. Just kind of. Part of that yeah. trade to me still with you, um, but that's a good addendum to the uh, Johnson Delgado trade. Is that you kind of made a trade? If you put it all together, those two trades, it looked <laughs> a lot better for you. Right, right. Because yeah, at least well, you did get one big piece out of him, and then yeah, that. Johnson's another pitcher I have in my other league, and uh, the fact that he has become so dominant now. Again, he's having obviously arm problems, uh, yeah. but. But seeing Johnson break out and become this dominant pitcher has been a lot easier for me to take, uh, given that I have him in my other league. That doesn't that doesn't make well, obviously that doesn't make the uh, Johnson for Delgado trade any smarter on its own. But uh, well, I'm glad you've turned this into the Fargo Fungos podcast. Oh hell. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, so should I give the scores at the trading deadline? Well, not not quite yet. I have two more trades that I just want to mention here. Well, one of them I already have. Um, Ford Duquesne did trade Justin Upton away to State College for J.D. Drew. That happened uh, right before the trading deadline in this season. Now, Ford Duquesne was was going for it. Orlando stumbled, and um, and they ended up underachieving this season, ended up at 40 wins. So I believe Ford Duquesne was pretty much in control of that division the whole mm-hmm. way, I think. Yeah. Um, and they kind of loaded that up for the playoffs. So Ford Duquesne was in line for uh, – to win the division, so they made a trade for for then. And then another interesting trade, it also involves Fort Duquesne. This one was one I hated at the time, uh, mostly because he traded away my favorite player, whom I brought to the team two years previously, um, a person we mentioned earlier. He traded Adam Dunn to Baltimore mm-hmm. uh, for Zach Grinke. Uh And I don't believe Grinky was that good that season. Um, or maybe he was okay, but, you know, seen as a promising yeah. pitcher, obviously. Boy, Dunn, Dunn has really floated around the last few years, and guess who got, guess who got caught holding the bag on him? Yeah, you did. <laughs> sure did. Well, I didn't like that trade because, Dunn, I mean, Dunn was a force uh, yeah. back then. Uh, and, you know, trade him to Baltimore, that might have even made them better, but, you know, just because Dunn was, my, you know, my favorite player back then. Uh, yeah. But that was kind of a controversial trade. People didn't know who won that trade or anything, and you can kind Kind of still quibble with it in retrospect, I guess. Um, yep. But there weren't a lot of trades, uh, but they were they were big ones. The ones that were made, that was pretty much it. That was the player movement there. So um, yeah. you want to okay. review you want to review the scores at the deadline now? Yeah, yeah. One one interesting fact is that um, at the trade deadline, the league average had dropped from eighty two to eighty. So this kind of shows that uh, you know even if you keep the overall pool of players uh, the same, depending on how they're used, the league average can go up or down. Right. Um, we were talking about that a little bit on the last podcast. Yeah, uh, I so. think that I think that happens with uh, you know teams in contention. They they sometimes trade for players to load up, and it doesn't always help them as much as it hurts the teams right. that traded them away. Exactly. No, I completely agree. It's yeah. not going to have. It's generally not going to have as much marginal value to the teams trading for them. But obviously, you can see why they do it. I mean, it makes right. sense. It's just yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 an average, a certain quality player has a bigger impact for an, on an average team than on a great team, usually. All right, anyway. Uh, so I started off the season with a 69. By the trading deadline, I was at a 19. 
Oof. We knocked 50 points off my score. <laughs> yeah, let's, well, let's let's take a second here to memorialize the, the 2009 Pink Pack. Um, when you traded Spielborgs and uh, Chu, you ended up having a, a natural disaster of an outfield. Uh, Ham- have- Hamilton was fine, but you had Chris Duncan and uh, Ryan Sweeney. The My lineup against left-handers was the oh. Deepwater Horizon. So. <laughs> it was awful. You didn't even play – Duncan and Sweeney, okay, they were – they were below average outfielders against righties, but they were they were a, a oil slick covered seal against left handers. Okay, they were they were a disaster so much so that you didn't even play um, Duncan against left handers. You played Alfredo Amezaga instead, and I mean he was friggin' atrocious too. So. It ended up that you against left-handers, your six, seven, eight in the order were all below six hundred. It was like five fifty, five ninety, five ten. I mean, it was awful, and I kept making fun of them incessantly because, to your credit, you kept getting coverage of your games even though you had this deep water horizon of a team. Aaron, Aaron lived in Aaron lived in Charlotte then, and I would make a drive down to see oh, yeah. two-hour drive, so I would uh, I had to give me coverage. To- Pass the time. And I have um, uh, a couple of notes about that. One, one thing, you know, you, you listen because, you know, you're coming off the championship. You were in a good place with the RBA, and we had fun with it. And you did have those drives on which you could listen. Um, but you you often – you would sometimes listen to them in your office, too, while you were doing other things. And you you didn't let's, – let's just say nicely that you didn't pay quite as close attention as you might <laughs> to a contending team. Uh, so much so that I what's that? Uh, that's true. I was I would play the games and I'd just be given the radio coverage and and if, you know you guys all know what that sounds like and I'd get to the point where it was obvious that you'd want to pinch hit for your pitcher. Let's say it's the bottom of the seventh and I'd say, um, all right, Jeff, well your pitcher's up. You know he's faced thirty two batters or whatever. Uh, you're gonna need to pinch hit for him and you'd say, uh, oh, what what inning is it? <laughs> I'd say, uh, yeah. it's, uh, is it the fifth? No, it's bottom of the seventh. Bottom of the seventh, okay. Uh, yeah, I need a pinch hitter, Jeff. Uh, just hit Helton. Yeah. Because I, you, you I would always say just hit Helton. I just, want to get, get, I just wanted to get him more career at bats. <laughs> yeah, so the quote, one of the quotes from that season is just, just hit Helton. <laughs> because that's what you would always say when asked for a pinch hitter. And you never knew what the situation was. It didn't matter what the situation was. Not really. Yeah, you didn't care. Yeah, you just wanted to get in plate appearances. You had redrafted Helton in like the ninth or tenth round, and you actually got one more good season out of him in the tenth. Oh, yeah, and somebody's going to get a good season out of him this year, too. Yeah, Atlanta. Uh, wait, yeah. Wait, wait, one more quote from that season. You know what I'm going to say. Um, I kept incessantly making fun of your left-handed lineup, and I would say, God, Jeff, your lefty lineup is atrocious. And it was just the, the meme during that season. And finally, with like, <laughs> with like 10 games to go, you play lefty. And I was like, God, Jeff, I'm typing in this lefty lineup again. I can't believe how bad you are against lefties. And you just you just said so dryly, you just said, well, you want to tell them? Say it. I think I said something like, uh, yeah, that's an issue I'm going to have to resolve before the playoffs. <laughs> there's classics like yeah I'm gonna have to fix that before the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, it was great. That was a that that team was a mascot of a team. It was just there to make fun of. <laughs> Pretty bad. Yeah. So tell us the scores at the uh, at the deadline. Okay, you were yeah. in the middle of that anyway. You fell to a 19. All right. Yeah. 
Uh, Orlando stayed at a 98. Fort Duquesne bumped themselves up from an 89 to a 93. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, wait. Adam didn't change? I don't think so. Are you sure? He always yeah. does so much during the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Atlanta stayed at a 63 in the pucket. Uh, State College fell further to a 24. And Silver City stayed at a 56. Buffalo increased from a 110 to a 115. They, they stayed with the league's best score. Yeah, with the Spielberg's trade, yeah. Right, right. Spielberg's added five points. And then Dunedin stayed at a 101. And now the Clemente, this is kind of interesting. Well, Cooper yeah. himself up slightly to a 102. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that was nothing, really. Um, Cooper, I mean, I keep doing that. Chad, Tom uh, Grove started off at an 81 and bumped himself all the way to a 93. Yeah, with that, that big trade, it did help yeah, out a lot. That, that, added him, that added 12 points, getting those guys off me. Baltimore bumped themselves up from a 97 to a 101. Yeah, see, the Dunn trade did help him. I knew that trade helped him. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And Gulf Coast stayed at a 91, so it's kind of funny. Chad did all that and still had, and still had almost the worst score in the division, but that, but, but, but that made it really close. That made it, that made the, uh, the difference between first and worst in terms of score just 11 points. So that, wow. division, that division was a free-for-all. 11 and, points between first and last in the division. And the way things ended, the way the regular season ended, Fort Duquesne won the Larkin, Buffalo won 50 games. They were the only team to win 50 games that year. Well, there were so many good teams. Yeah, they won exactly 50, and they won the pucket. Uh, Clemente, the Clemente division was won by Vegas with 46 wins, and I guess the wild card was Dunedin. Yeah, that's right. Third straight division title for uh, for Las Vegas. Um, they eked it out with 46 wins over Elm Grove, who, who came up just short at 44. Gulf Coast was really the only team who uh, underachieved in that season at 37 wins. Uh, Baltimore, they got 44. I mean, you can't really say. I mean, with that many good teams in a division, there's no way that you're going to be able to win a whole lot of games. So right. you can't really say that 44 wins they underachieved. They just kind of. Just missed out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let's go to the uh, replay results, and then we'll talk about the championship. Yeah, let's do that. Um, all right. So the replay standings. Um, I guess we'll start at the top here, and uh, this doesn't. Well, it surprised me a little bit. I mean, based on your yeah. scores, I thought it would be Dunedin or Buffalo. The replay liked Dunedin. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, well, I'll start. I'll do it by division. Um, oh, okay. Orlando. So in the Larkin, Orlando won with an average of 47.7. Suggesting that Orlando underachieved quite a bit, and we thought they did. They won 40 games in the real season, so that's 7.7. That was the biggest difference in this region. Yeah, that is in line with the Hobbs spreadsheet prediction. Adam made the playoffs in 11 of the 14 replays. 21st all-time. Fort Duquesne finished uh, fifth in the league with an average of 43.2 wins. 4.8 4.8 less than the 48 they got in the RBA season. So maybe he stole a little bit from Adam there. Yeah, I thought he had the worst team. Not by a lot. I mean, anything can happen with when the difference is that yeah. narrow. But they made the playoffs in six of the 14 replays. Yep. Atlanta averaged 35. Which is, yeah, about right. They got, they won 37 games, so pretty much. And, and Arizona, 29.8. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you uh, crash landed at 99th all time out of the 106 <laughs> 10, uh, 10 season teams. That's a crash landing for you. Yeah, uh, you actually won 3.8 more games in the replay than you did in the regular season when you won the magic number of 26. You didn't quite get down to the 24 that you had in season six, but still, it was a it was a pretty atrocious effort. Right. Neither Atlanta nor Arizona made the playoffs in any of those replays. In the really? pocket. 
Dunedin. Dunedin wins the replay with an average of 50.3 wins. They got to 50. I mean, that was such a well-constructed team, such a big team. Hard to do in in these replays. That is the eighth best all-time in the first ten seasons. So that's a top ten team. Yep. They made the playoffs 12 and a half times out of 14. So again, any team can miss the playoffs. Uh, they did not do a, not get a sweep out of it. Um, yeah, but you're going to notice here as you name the next team how many times yeah. the wild card came out of this division. Buffalo averaged 47.8 wins, second in the RBA, sec- second in the play. They just beat Orlando. Second in uh, the division, second in the RBA. That was 2.2 wins worse than they did in the real season, which was 50. They and Dunedin were basically about two wins off, so right they, there. They were, they were really good. Uh, they made the playoffs 11 and a half times. So, so combined not, 24 times out of the yeah, 14. 10, 10, of, 10 of the 14, yeah, 14, re- uh, 14 wildcard spots from the replays went to that division. And one of those two teams. Silver City averaged 32.4. Yeah, they didn't know. They, they were not uh, that good. Zero playoff appearances. State College, 31.8 and zero playoff appearances. So All right. Two of those teams weren't as good. But here's how the Clemente cluster shook out. Here we go. Ready for this. I'm not surprised by this, actually. And what, anybody could have won this division, but Baltimore wins. Yeah, they, you could make an argument that they deserved it in this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Focus was good. But they were all good. Um, Although this is the only time I think that this happened. Uh, they won 44 games in the replay, which is right on what they won in the RBA. Difference of 0.0. Yeah. Uh, seven playoff appearances out of 14. So uh, Elm Grove averaged 42.9 and made the playoffs four times. Just 1.1 wins, fewer than what they did in the regular season. Gulf Coast averages 41.3 and makes the playoffs twice. Mm-hmm. Just a 4.3 more than they did in the RBA season. And here's the surprise. Yeah. Las Vegas, the eventual champion, finishes in last place. They averaged 39.7. They did make the playoffs twice, but they averaged 39.7 wins per replay. Now, we should mention one thing because we're going to focus on Las Vegas here. This is the first of two straight seasons in which the eventual champion basically packed it in at the trading deadline. If you recall, this, uh, yeah. this division was, as we said, a huge cluster mess of a, of a race, and any of the teams could have won it. And this is something that we definitely need to note. Um, at the uh, let's see, at the 63 game. Oh no, the train deadline's at 54 now. I always forget that. Um, okay, so let's look at the uh, the records at the 54 game mark. Elm Grove was 31 and 23. Made through uh, 54 games. Uh, Gulf Coast was 27 and 27. Baltimore was 29 and 35. Las Vegas was. 26 and 28. So Las Vegas was in last place in that division, and they were, what, five games behind Elm Grove. So it looked dire for them. And you notice that that means that they'd went, what, 20 and 7 down the stretch? Yeah. Finished 46 and 35. Cooper sent out an email to the league. Now, no trade was made, as we mentioned. Yeah, I remember he offered up some players. He said, I'm throwing in the towel. You, yeah. Anybody wants my players, you can you know you can have them. But no trade was made, 
And, you know, he might say that he was just trying to, sort of like SoCal this season, sort of did the same thing, just to see if uh, somebody would overpay for a player. But he was in last place at the trading deadline, just like he was in last place in the replay. And he surged up with this great comeback after sending out the throw in the towel email to win that division. Right. Uh, it was pretty shocking. It looked like then that Chad was going to win it. And, and, of course, we all thought that Chad was charmed at that time. Uh, he already won three Ti- uh, three titles, and I guess Cooper was sort of consigned to that, even though he won the last two division titles. Yes, yeah, yeah. um, but it was tough. It was tough to overtake all three of those teams. You know, yeah, you, you think about passing that many teams with one third of the way left. Right. Well, let's do the playoffs. Um, we right. had uh, in the first round, Dunedin played uh, Fort Duquesne. Yes. As the uh, as the wild card drew Fort Duquesne in the first round, Buffalo Fort, was the one seed. Fort Duquesne was the two seed, uh, but uh, Dean couldn't play Buffalo because they're right. from the same division. Right, and the uh, the Corsairs are uh, the Corsairs took game one. It was a close one, and then. Actually, took game two as well, so things did not look good for Dunedin. Well, <laughs> yeah, let me just just one thing to note: this was after the grueling marathon of of the last se- the previous season. We did switch to playing the first round um, offsite before RBA weekend, so this was the first series that we played um, before RBA weekend, the first playoff series we'd ever done that. We did it over Skype, and it was great. And one thing I should mention is that Josh, uh, coaching Dunedin, he was uh, still in college at this time, and he was living in the dorm. He was an RA, and um, he used to have people in the room listening, and when something good happened to his team, there would be a a literal cheer coming up (laughs) from his side. You'd have like four or five people clapping and cheering. It was fantastic. It was like an actual audience for an RPA game. That's one of my favorite stories. And he went down, as I just said, he went down in the series 2 nothing, and, and then here's where the comeback starts. He beat, yeah. uh, he beat Bob 7 nothing in Game 3. Yeah, Jurgens over Kershaw. It was a big win for uh, Dunedin there, back up off and the he, And then after the 7 nothing win, he won 8-2 in Game 4. Yeah, he thumped him. He came back home and, and thumped him in two straight. And then it was the pivotal um, – wait a second. Oh, that was Game oh. 5. No, 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 no. That's no, that's right. Um, and then in Game Five, he had the. Um, it was tied two to the pivotal Game Five, and there was back and forth, scoreless for a while. Verlander and Harden pitched this one. Um, we should mention, and we'll probably say this in the championship also. Rich Harden was freaking unhittable this season. Uh, it was one of the, you know, whenever Rich Harden's arm stays on his body, he is unhittable, and he was just a menace in this season. And so it was yeah. a great matchup with these pitching staffs, and Harden kind of outpitched Verlander there, but um, Dunedin's bullpen broke down. It was tied 3-3 going to the ninth, and Fort Duquesne scored well, three in the top of the inning. I'm looking at this right now, and every time the Clear Blues won, it was a beatdown. I mean, game game six yep. was 7-2 to Clear Blues. Yeah, uh, that, I remember that. Fort Duquesne eked out three wins, and Dunedin yeah. demolished three wins. So he came to game seven, uh, and Dunedin had outscored him badly in the in the series. But Dunedin had disaster in, um, in the um, – Oh, shoot. Did I misnumber the games here? I'm looking no, at that. I noticed that. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, so in in Game 7 of this series, Dunedin had disaster happen in the bottom of the first. 
if you look at this, an out hadn't been recorded. The first six guys reached for Fort Duquesne off, off Jair Jurgens. Yeah, Jurgens got pulled after two innings. Yeah, it was single, single, triple, homer, single, walk, and then later a sack fly. And it was five to nothing after one inning of, a, of game seven in the series. Yeah. That had to be terrible. But... Ford Duquesne turned out to not score for the rest of the game, and Dunedin, in nice little pattern fashion, scored two in the third, two in the sixth, and then one of the biggest homers in RBA history, really. This was a massive, massive moment. Um, And, in fact, the runner was on first base with two out against Joaquin Soria, you know, go ahead run was at the plate, but the tying run was at first base. Two out in the top of the ninth, and it was Mark DeRosa who homered. Yeah, I remember I, that, DeRosa. Oh, I remember that moment. I mean, it was just, I mean, the the screaming on the Dunedin end, and, and such a tough, I, I mean, way to lose for Fort Duquesne. Um, Brad Lidge was Dunedin's really uh, closer then, and he ended up closing it out. But a very yeah. dramatic first round win. So One of the better first round series we've played, really. So that would that would send Dunedin to the uh, championship series yeah. against the winner of Vegas and Buffalo, and. Uh, uh, that series was interesting. Game one was a shootout. Uh, game one was ten to eight. Effect. Yes. yes. <laughs> Linscombe got beat up, and and Chad and, or uh, now I did it. Cooper pulled Heron early, and uh, his bullpen yeah. kind of got knocked around. Now I was managing the series for Buffalo. This was Buffalo. This was the last straw that that, that forced us to to you know eject Buffalo from the league. But this was Cooper managing against me, which doesn't say too much about my. Uh, my effort too. <laughs> well, the Wild Wings did win Game Two, seven to four, off a big five five inning five run inning. Um, yeah. Sheets got knocked around, and then in Game Three, the Wild Wings also won. They did. They took a two games to one lead. Cooper was rather like like I said, bedraggled. We were playing this yeah. just him and me. We were the only two on there, and he was a. Uh, you know, he was taking it a little bit hard. He was trying not to to be too upset, but then a uh, uh, an epic Game Four. Yeah, game four went 13 innings. Cooper won it in the bottom of the 13th, four to three. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was a solo homer by Kelly Shopik in the bottom of the ninth to send it to extra innings. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of a magic win there for uh, for Cooper that evened that series up. Yeah, that was big. I mean, game five, and then game five was an absolute blowout, 12 to five. Yeah, he got Linscombe again. Linscombe couldn't do a damn yeah. thing in that series. Linscombe got killed, and then he kind of just cruised to victory. Game six was an 8-3 win for Cooper. Yeah. So, and, I mean, we should note that Buffalo was one of the two best teams in the league. And Las Vegas, by I mean, they were very good. The replay didn't like them as much. Yeah. Um, but we could probably consider this an upset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Vegas was uh, Vegas was fine, but um, they weren't. That this team wasn't anywhere near as good as his seventh season team had been, for example. So, right. And Buffalo but, was a very good team. So we we came into the championship with Las Vegas playing Dunedin, and I should mention the setup here. Cooper didn't make it up for RBA weekend. We had this at your uh, your parents' house, and we'll talk more about this RBA weekend. You know, maybe the next time. Um, Josh and my, my cousins, Josh and Champ, came to RBA weekend for the first time. Josh to manage his team in the RBA championship. They stayed for the draft. And you had a special uh, piece of attire for this series, Jeff. Yeah, I, I decided I was going to start a rivalry, or should I say maybe renew my rivalry uh-huh. with Cooper. So we started talking a little trash over email, and uh, 
and I came to the draft with a uh, with a Dunedin clear blues shirt. I just you had you given me the shirt or how I, I made that? it. I made you made it. Yeah, yeah, you made the shirt and gave it to me, and I wore it to the to the championship. So Jeff was wearing a Dunedin clear blue shirt and cheering for Dunedin during this series. Um, right. But Cooper was trying to win his first plaque after three trips to the championship in which he had lost. <laughs> well, Cooper was. Cooper, Cooper was in a bad way, I think, emotionally yeah. at this point. He, he was. He couldn't come. Uh, I mean, he was – yeah, the eighth season really hurt him. Yeah. Well, uh, the, it was the, yeah, the fifth, the seventh, and the eighth, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, it was tough for him. And Dunedin probably had the better team, so it had to look daunting. And he was facing Rich Harden, who was, who was just filthy. I think those two teams were pretty evenly matched. Oh, do you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. Uh, but but Cooper couldn't have helped. It could not have helped that Cooper got slaughtered in game one. Yeah. <laughs> Harden first. shut him down, and Dunedin hit the ball all over the place. Um, and, yeah, Dunedin won that one. But uh, Cooper started the, the climb back. And yeah, game two was an exciting 3-1 win for Cooper. Yep. Uh Held Dunedin to five hits, and then oh. four to nothing in game three. Just couldn't hit the ball. Dunedin just got shut down by Scott Baker. I remember that clearly. Five hits in each. They got five hits in each of games two and three. Yeah, they didn't score there in game three. Yeah, they got shut out though. Game four was seven to three. That one was kind of over by the third inning. By the end, yeah. Uh. Yeah. So Cooper won three straight. He won games two through four, and it was funny because we kind of said. Well, it's going to be tough for him to beat Rich Harden, and he actually didn't ever beat Rich Harden. He <laughs> yeah, Harden absolutely demoralized him in Game Five. So at this point, yeah, at this point, right through Game Four, Cooper was up three to one, but Harden killed him in Game Five and, and again, and, yeah. Really, and, yeah, and basically Cooper won every game that Harden didn't start. Yeah, Harden pitched eight innings, two hits, ten strikeouts. I mean, just killed him. And then we go to game six, and uh, it's a really exciting one, and Cooper wins it. Cooper wins his first plaque, five five to four in game six over uh, over the need. Yeah, it was a great moment. Cooper Cooper got his first title. He deserved a title after all that time. Yeah. after after the after what happened to him in particularly the fourth and seventh seasons, I think yeah. yeah. I was kind of thinking about this apropos of almost nothing, but um, if I could give, if this would be mostly at Chad's expense, so I apologize to Chad. But if I could have given out the plaques the way I wanted to, I would have given Adam either the second or the third one, and then given Cooper the seventh, so that you know Adam could have one before that, and, and Cooper could have one before this. One. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it would have been fun for Dunedin to win that one, but I was very happy that that Cooper got his title. He he definitely deserved at least one by that time. Right. Right. So uh so anyway that that ends the ninth season, the two thousand nine season, and um I guess probably your next podcast will be with Chad, right? He likes to do one ever after every three. Well maybe, yeah. I guess it depends on uh yeah. Uh he's he's on vacation now and I think he will be for another week, but we'll we'll see when he comes back. I'd like to be able to set that up with him. Um sure, we'll see sure. when I hear from him. Uh yeah, but the next the next season podcast that we do, I'll have to bring in uh, special guest Matt Garrier. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> Get to that. Um <laughs> My buddy, my buddy Matt Garrier, who's still a uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, oh, but uh, so yeah, 2009 was fun to be a part of, even if even though I was terrible or ended up being terrible. Um, yeah, and you bounced back. Short. Well, that was another. Order. 
Yeah, that was another one-year rebuilding project that worked out pretty well. Um, yep, you would not, you would be back for the tenth and eleventh seasons, obviously. So, um, yep. so yeah, we'll do that one soon, and we'll we'll see what Chad has to say if he has any response to what we've gone through. And, sure. Uh, all right. Any other closing thoughts? No, we we cover a lot in these things, but it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I guess I'll see you soon for another podcast, whether that's before or after Chad gets to do one. Uh, we'll find out. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Later, yeah.